it, you know, and then you end up with, well, okay, this, 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 this can opener thing, okay, so, and it's like, it's not, you're not wasting any time, because it doesn't take time to know that stuff, it doesn't take time to figure it out. You're actually probably moving more quickly than um, you would if you knew what everything was, because there would be things that, okay, I need, I need a, uh, I need a whisk. Well, there isn't a whisk. So, I mean, you know, instead of going, I need a whisk, okay, I don't have to go to the store, I have to borrow one, I have to call somebody. You know, instead you, you know, you tie three forks together and do this thing and it, like, works. And you got, you know, it's handled and, and you, you didn't even think about it. You just needed that because it was necessary. So it's called forth into existence out of necessity. So, I mean, even this conversation tonight is like that. Like, like there was, there's, there's no script, there wasn't a plan, there wasn't, you know, we often do this. There's not a, there's, who's, whose turn is it to speak next? You know, what are they going to say? You know, is it that, you know, that those things aren't of consideration here because that's not, because we're going by what's, what's needed. You know, people are saying the next thing that's needed to say, and there isn't, you know, there isn't five minutes of silence in here because nobody can think of something to say, you know. It's not like that. People are saying what's needed to say what's next. And if there was five minutes of silence in here, it would be appropriate. You know, it wouldn't be a problem. So, I think that this not knowingness is really close to us. And I think that we're really pretending that it's not. I think we largely function in not knowingness, pretending that we know, so that the veneer can of psychologically psychological sanity and whatever stability and normalcy can stay in place, and so I think that the not knowing this is really a, a really a, a natural um, available like accessible place for us to be, and it's that it wouldn't be that big of a deal for us to have that <coughs> back to have that as a, a resource or as one possible way of relating or functioning. But it does, but it is different from how we've been trained, I think. One of the things it seems like that, um, that I've been noticing in relationship to being with Ben and also in relationship to my work at, like my job, um, is that the um, that rapid learning model? The speed of it is really fast. Where like it, it seems like you can't stay in not knowing and spend much time looking for the feedback and gathering it and processing it and taking the time to shift and then like I feel like. With, with certainly with Ben and and, and <coughs> my job right now, those are the two places where I feel like I'm in constant go, and I know I'm paying attention to feedback, but it, it's like I, I I can't afford to do anything other than well, I, I mean I can't even language it so quickly that it's just it's go, and yet I know I'm not just only going, and, and somehow that seems. That that's one thing that not knowing is about. That 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 to get up in the feedback and the shift part of that model is a way to get stuck again in knowing. For me, it feels that way. Well, in the way we're talking, go includes feedback and shift. Okay. And it and it's actually simultaneous. And that's how it feels. And it, and I, it really does feel that way. Like. There's not a lot of time for me to use my mind in, in that. My mind gets used, but it's not. So there's an aliveness in that way of being that isn't allowed if things are known and if there's time to figure it all out. And like that, there's an there's an aliveness that is uh, 
joyful and is also a way that things are moving way too fast for the mind and wave and uh, and and we're, we're having the necessity to have access to resources that are not ours so that in that way we can only do the job if we're in the service of something greater than ourselves that has those resources available so that we're actually functioning simply as an instrument of the thing that's greater than us using those resources and and delivering what's wanted and needed um, beyond what we ourselves, if we know who we are, are capable of providing. And I think I just sort of scanned everybody, and I think everybody in here is involved in at that level of um, necessity in our in our laboratories, in our lives. <coughs> Everybody's like working in places where that kind of functioning is. We're called into that really every day. So we get a chance to practice uh, in the consideration of both of the things that we've been talking about. One is of going in knowing that the world is far more alive than we normally allow it to be and by liberating that aliveness by not naming or judging or criticizing or declaring or using is glue. We talked about is glue before, didn't we? We did? Do you want to explain it? Well, when you said it, what I connected was that if we say something is something or we use that word, then we glue those two concepts together and there there's like a bond there that that is difficult or impossible to break because it's our creation of it. Yeah, and the word is doesn't exist in nature. It's a thing we fabricated to glue things together to create worlds. But we put once we put, you know, you are bad or I am angry or whatever the thing is Know, this is a rug. Whenever we put those, whenever we glue those <coughs> things together with the is glue, then we act as if it's so. We're, we're locked into a um, formulation. And, and the, possi the possibility is to recognize, to do that on purpose, to recognize our overuse of is glue in, in the world. And the, the falseness of it, the um, fictitiousness of it, the, the fact that it's always a fabrication of the mind. It's always a, something we're putting together for a purpose, and the purpose is often not a conscious purpose, but we're always, you know, lab we're always thinking, you know, this is this, or, uh, this job is impossible, I am tired, you know, like, you know, you, whatever, you're not doing it, whatever. You know, however we put the is glue together, it's a fabrication. We did. We played around for a very short time in my class. At the beginning, when we were first talking about what is human communication, and one of the things is is that language is arbitrary. Words are made up. This is a sofa, only because we all agree it's a sofa. It could be a strawberry. And so we played with that, and in five minutes it was like we had chaos. <laughs> I mean, it was chaos because there was nothing, there was no, nothing meant anything, and we couldn't. We realized pretty quickly we couldn't even communicate with each other because if you think this is a strawberry and I think it's a sofa, then we we can't even talk to each other. So it's it's like we we all agreed on these names and labels and rules, so stuff made sense. That's the purpose of language. So it is totally limiting. And, and the other side of it is it would be total chaos in a way without it. Yes, and the experiment that we're inviting is to go into that chaos and see how to function in that kind of chaos. That's the experiment. 
and to see how to produce results in the chaos without having to nail it first, without having to kill it first. Just to have that level of aliveness be there and still and still have an impeccable, responsible um, relationship with the world. In a way, it's kind of like being pregnant because, I mean, I just look at this, like there's something going on for me in my body that I don't really have much to do with now, but yet I have everything to do with it. And it seems to me like what you're talking about is something that we're going to, I mean, it ties in with what Red House been talking about. It's going to happen in our body on some level because there's a, there's like a wisdom in our body that we, that we aren't connected to anymore. And, the, you know, like what you said about the language, we, that's part of the creation to perpetuate the box and, you know, keep everything safe and orderly and in its place. I mean, We've created language as a culture to do that. And yet there are parts of us, um, you know, and he talked about like our movement, you know, the different brains and the evolution and kind of stuff. There are parts of us that are infinitely more wise than, than our cortex, which is the slowest and the newest. And, you know, I keep thinking some of these experiments that you're talking about are sort of like each of us being pregnant with something might not be a baby, but it's with something that's coming from inside of us. It's, it's an expression that's coming from inside of us, and and part of us knows how to do this. And you know, my body knows how to grow a baby. I don't know how to grow a baby, but my body does, and so I am allowing it to do that. And I'm creating. You know, I'm I'm taking certain, making certain choices to maximize the environment or whatever, you know, but but really my body knows how to do it and I don't have much to do with it. And so I, I'm making some small connections between what you're saying, like as far as different experiments and when Fred said, how do I do that? Well, on some level, on some level like part of us, part of us knows and if we can connect to that, connect or or allow that part of us to do what it can do, really, not block it, then that's how we can, like, give birth to something different, in a way. Yeah. There's a relationship to vulnerability for me, as I see it. It's like Red Hawk was saying, you know, that the mind has two functions. One is to solve technical problems. The other one is to communicate with other machines. And so, I had an experiment today at work where I was on the phone getting ready to have what is normally just a normal conversation with another technical person that I was calling for support. And I couldn't language anything suddenly. I, you know, I couldn't language in the way that I normally do. And I realized that I was not in my head. I was attempting to do this in some, some, other, some other way where I wasn't in my head and I didn't know how to do it. But the words just came, but I did feel very vulnerable to be in that space of not, I couldn't formulate the words that I thought I was wanting to say in the way that I normally do. And so the conversation that arose had to be real spontaneous and unknown to me as it was rising. <laughs> so it was really interesting, though, to, to experience myself being open and vulnerable in, in this conversation that I wasn't formulating from my head. So that's kind of a space I really am interested in, is a space that does allow that spontaneity and that element of creativity to be there. And it is, I do feel a little scared about not having the control that I normally do when I'm in my head and I know everything backwards and forwards, which is really kind of a dead space for me too. I mean, it's just one more repetition. You know, in modeling, he was talking about how modeling and repetition are the two ways that we learn. And so it seems that if I want to learn something new, I have to step out of the repetition of the known. <laughs> well, I think this thing Betty Lou was talking about, too, is really strong for us.
too, which is what you're saying is we go to school and we learn to speak and we uh, read books and there's all this this whole uh, this, this whole way of languaging things and using language puts us opens up for us at the beginning it opens up for us this really interesting world with these books and ideas and stuff but it's a it's a verbal reality and we we go into this verbal reality and more and more it blocks off we make that that is what's real and it blocks off the innocence that we have which is the vaster bodily relationship to the world where things are alive so we're living our lives through a verbal reality as if that was what was so or that was what was true or this is how the world works or this is how this is what's and it's all this verbal reality and there is another reality and we aren't it's scary to, to have access to this other reality and it's really known to us already at in the bodily level at the bodily level but that the re, 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 um, restricting ourselves to the verbal reality disallows our access to the other reality and so there's a, a terrible moment we realize that the verbal reality is so small and limited and like a prison and but at the same moment then it's pretty exciting because it's it means that there's other reality that's just on the outside of there just just there that's a context even that's even that that the verbal reality is within and that we have direct access through the body into the bigger reality and it's um it's actually safe for us to be there because that's where we were born into we, we have that it's it's home it's actually home for us and we've been living in this little house and there's this whole world with all this life and stuff going on we're living in this little box well the, and we get punished for not being in that verbal reality oh, yeah. and and out of fear i play the verb, verbal reality game i mean i i mean why would i even want to go over there because you know, I don't want to be killed. Yeah, there's a whole, there's a communications theory that just the title of it, just the name of it, sort of says it all. It's called coordinated management of meaning. <laughs> oh my God, that's just sort of the what the how the world is set up. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about organizations who run on you know the coordinated management of meaning. This is what it means. If you're outside that, you're punished somehow. Not you know that's not valued and wrong and um, so what school is for? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think about like it just sort of blowing my mind thinking about Christopher because it's like I intentionally spent years labeling things for him, which you know on one hand was necessary for him to function in the world, and you know I'm sitting here thinking and at the same time like how limiting how limiting that has been for him because you know it's like he has a name he has a label but it's what it's what I gave it or it's what you know it's like um, how people things get labeled for people even not verbally because if, if somebody sees you use um, something in, in a way like a potato peeler to, and somebody else does it. It's like in a way, it's like they come to a conclusion and in a way label it even though it's not necessarily those words. But, um, you know, like he didn't get, like he didn't get that. And, and like what a huge influence I had on him because I was the primary person for you know, for five years that went that, and we did that. I mean, we went through the grocery store, we went through the house, everything was, that's a whatever. And I mean, and, and like, sort of to fit in the world, it, I thought he needed to know that butter was yellow. And maybe he didn't. <laughs> I was sitting here going, <laughs> you know, or, yeah, it's like. <clears throat> but I think, I think that what you're saying is, is true, I mean, if you want to use the word true, like, there is, like, we do have to function in the world, but I think, I think what's happened is, 
we've forgotten that there's something else. So it's really a question of consciousness and attention. Like, can we reconnect to those other choices, you know, to those other places, those other worlds, so that we can have freedom to choose where we're going to be, and and we can be in the world that knows how to produce things like you know can we be in the world of, of our bodies and move from that place and still function with the other machines around us you know and I mean for me it's like as I as you pr present the question or as I listen to Red Hawk present his questions it's like it's like a whole other world is is shown to me because I'm conscious of something else, of the possibility of something else. Not that I want to kill this world, which is was sort of you know the way I was taught when I was growing up. You find something better, you kill the other thing, you go with that. You know maybe maybe what the challenge is is to be able to be in both or be in all the millions or I mean I don't you know whatever however many there are. Well, there's definitely a progression. The, the kind of game that we're playing in terms of transformation is a sophisticated methodology. This is, we're using, it's a left-handed tantric tradition that uses everything. So it's the fourth way tradition, which is all things at the same time, all levels going at the same time. It's that, that's the kind of of methodology of the tradition that we're working in. So in that tradition, mostly everyone will fail. That's how it is. Mostly we will all fail most of the time with most everything because that's, the, that's how this tradition is. And so I think that there's so much involved in terms of first you have to know the name of everything before you can transcend the necessity of naming everything. So then you have both worlds available. You can name everything or you can function nameless, not knowing the names. But you can't function, you can't function without the name of things until you already know the name. It's like you can't have your innocence back until you've lost it and then you can get your innocence back and know what it is. But if you have the innocence without having lost it, you don't know what the innocence is. It's just innocence. So we're talking about a high-level sophistication of adult that has a complex and highly developed personality and psychology that is then going back and accessing the innocence again, knowing what that innocence is and putting it to a use that's higher of, of serving, you know, a higher service, U utilizing accessing the innocence through the adult, through the <clears throat> and you can't, so anyway, I just wanted to. Well, that's what you I teach know. people in the event. I mean, you, you give them some names for things that exist for them, then they can have a knowledge of it in a different way. Yeah. Plus there's a, there's a, a value that I'm learning in sacrificing that which doesn't serve as high purpose as something else, you know, like giving up coffee in the mornings, you know, is something, I've had coffee, I know what it does for me, I've got that experience, and now to give that experience away for the sake of something outside that box, you know, is a sacrifice of sorts on some level, and it's like I'm writing on the sacrifices, you know, in a way that I'm making by making a choice for something serve something higher, you know, and, and that, there's something in me that knows that I'm writing on that decision and I'm writing on that sacrifice as a way of elevating my own work somehow, so it helps me, you know, it helps me to, it helps me when finally I can make that sacrifice and then allow that to be an impetus almost, you know, to the next step or the next level of operating I understand what you're saying as far as having to know the situation or having to know the thing before I can before I can have the privilege of 
passing it along, giving it up, or something else. There are people who don't have to know. Like, we're a room full of people who have to know. But there are people who, have, who get it in their body first and who couldn't explain it. Like, my friend Mike is a person who doesn't get it through his head. Doesn't, he doesn't get anything through his head. He couldn't explain anything he does. He, he just, like, just doesn't happen. He tries to explain it and it doesn't make any sense. And yet he does it. So he's beautiful on stage and he tries to talk about acting and you go, shut up. You know? Or he's great in the classroom teaching, yet if you look at his lesson plans you think, you're in real trouble. So he doesn't, he doesn't need to know. And in fact, knowing gets in his way. And he knows that. So he doesn't have any interest in knowing. And he does, and he does his labeling differently. So he limits himself to stay out of creation differently. But there are people who don't, for whom know, they don't trade in creation with knowing. I would say that that's how we all come into the world. I mean, just because I look at kids and they know and don't, like they know in their bodies. And we as a culture and a society teach them they need to know differently in order to fit into that managed communication model. But how they know is not the highest way of knowing. <laughs> See, we have a hierarchy. We teach them the higher way of knowing, when in fact we don't they honor the higher way of knowing. <laughs> they, have, they have their own language. Kayla expresses an experience to me, and then I go and name it, and she's furious because mm. I didn't hear her experience. And well, I've we been forgotten really that. that. We've forgotten that. <clears throat> I, I never even knew that I ever knew that. You know, I mean, I didn't know that when I, when my children were little. I didn't know that they knew. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. And you know, I long ago forgotten that there was some intelligence and wisdom besides what was in my head. So there's no, you know, there's no way to value that because I don't even know to value it. Especially since we've been playing the game our whole life that the person who knows the most is the, you know, we yeah, yeah, yeah. can name it. I think this conversation tonight reminds me so much of the movie Hook, and I feel like we're being invited <laughs> into the world of magic and creation, and that's a very exciting world. And I already think of my little, my daughter had the craft box, and I'm thinking, yeah, I would have a little craft box, and I can take it out, and when I see the is glue, I can just dissolve it, and it just, it, I feel excited that I can create, create and have little tools to do some uncreating in the process. And that's the attitude I want to walk in with every day, is, is excitement that, oh, wow, what are we going to create today? And uh, that's not what I usually wake up thinking or feeling. So that's an experiment for me to just go, okay, open up a little craft box and, oh, did I glue that? Shh, dissolve. And I want to try that. Dirty socks, whoop, dissolve. <laughs> yeah, and, and we kill kids too, you know, in that way, because uh, that's the first punishment. You know, we we tell them it's not okay to be themselves. It's not okay to not play the language game. It's not okay to to be who they are, and uh, so we start punishing from birth just to get them into our game so they'll be accepted and and we can label them as as okay. Yeah. I or saw good. a funny or thing good. in nice. a catalog today, and it was a it was something that was a dog saying, "Expensive shoe." I didn't know it was an expensive shoe. I thought it smelled like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we even try to label it the dog. So like, bad. But you know, it's like it's great that like the idea is really appealing to me too. But I keep thinking of something that. Red that we keep is that don't go into this thinking that it's going to be anything but painful, <laughs> because that is what we are embarking on. I mean, this is a this is a painful process, and you know, and I think we have to consider like, and, and we're being taught. I mean, he's helping teach us, and you're helping teach us. What do we do with the energy of that pain? Because I think. For so long, 
we want, we, you know, I have chosen to live in the world of language, so I don't have to feel that, because I don't know what to do with that pain. I don't know what to, I don't know how to feel it, I don't know how to, I'm scared to death of it, I'm angry at whatever. So I create a whole world to avoid the pain of what comes up when I try to be in the moment, and I try to honor and create from my body, and it's like, that's, that's like where I think we have to take our next step is, what do we do, you know, what, what can we do with the pain, how, how can we change our relationship to that, is there something we can create with it, that's where I see like the, I know I keep saying this, but that's the possibility for me, is how do I transform what's going to come up so that I don't just get back on the wheel and do my martyr thing or do my So, so, so what's the next step? You know, and I think, I think we're being led to the next step. I mean, at least, I, you know, I feel like we're getting glimpses of what's possible to do with some of that, and it's, it's all energetics in a way. And impersonal. Mm-hmm. Like if it, if we take credit for it, so if the creation's ours, then it's like that's labeled, that's owned, that is no longer creation. We killed it. It's like there's something, it's like it's very impersonal about that I created it or that I had anything to do with it. I know that I do, and I've, I've really allowed this to be with me more and more. It's like Red Hawk, one of the things Red Hawk said was it can be handled in the body, whatever the experiences are, can be fully handled if I'm present in my body. And um, I, I'm, I'm seeing that that's true because when those moments, those gifts that he was referring to really occur for me, it is those moments when I am practicing, you know, when I am choosing, intentionally choosing to be in my body present and self-observing. Not that I do it consistently, not that I'm good at it by any means at all, but I'm just starting to realize and to see that there's a lot of possibility. Something that Porna says a lot <coughs> is to trust the process. It's one of, one of the guidelines that he uses a lot and suggests often. And the, oh, what that might look like, I mean, one of the ways that I've been looking at that lately is just to look at the breakdowns that happened for me in my different lives that, that I'm leading in the places where things get blocked or stuck or when I go into um, whatever you know the, all that stuff you know to, to see that that's actually a designed cert like service like our commitment to um, putting ourselves at stake is rewarded by breakdown, problems, pain, and the, the signs of, of that the universe is placing in our lives, specifically those elements that are perfectly designed to cause those breakdowns so that, so that we can evolve. And the, the evolutionary process, the pain that you're talking about, is the gift of our, is, is the gift in exchange for which we have paid all that we've paid or sacrificed, we get back this pain of evolution. And that's like that's the game that we're in. That's a relief to me when that happens. I mean, I have really strong reference points for when I've known. I mean, one was when Gene and I separated and Porna said to me, do you know you burned this? And I knew what he meant. And I mean, I was very clear that I had earned that pain um, by working for it. And, um, and then recently with Ben, I mean, even last week, you know, sitting in this group and, and weeping, or I knew that I had earned the experience of that pain again. Um, I also knew when I had that miscarriage last summer that, that um, 
And it, and it is when I somehow get that I'm connected to something other than myself. I don't, I don't know that in any way, except when I'm experiencing that pain. Uh, and so every time, I mean, every single one of those, those three specific examples, um, the other feeling that comes up for me is gratitude, which doesn't make sense to many people. But, but I am also really overwhelmed with that, that oh, this is how I get connected to the rest of the world and just, and creation. Well, yeah, and, and the pain of, you know, what a gift Ben is, um, to, you know, that he, that we've been given Ben to, um, you know, the one, uh, you know, the fact that I'm, we're trying to kill him by putting him in the, to society, and he's a, a character who is fighting it because of who he is. I mean, it's just like, he doesn't fit, and we're trying to cram him into this this spot and uh, and so the pain of that and now choosing something different to try to allow him to be who he is and you know with the big question of so later on how does he fit into society and how you know what's our work and, and how much of it do we teach him and uh, I mean there's just a huge unknown there and, and that pain of that is uh, and it's it's a constant reminder of you know and a chance for us to work. How, how do we experience the, the process of suffering, the transformational process of suffering, and still hold a space for joy? Joy is suffering. You can't separate the two. I mean, my experience of it is you cannot separate the two. If you're really consciously experiencing suffering, there is joy there as well. They are one and the same. Yeah, you go back to you have to know the one side to have the other, or the you know here and there concept. You have to have there in order to know that here exists. You know, I'll tell you something that's really been going on for me that's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> What are you laughing about? <laughs> You're laughing. I'm bad. It's really bad. I mean... It's like your language. What? Because that means it's also good. Go ahead. It's objectively bad. It's objectively bad. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to hear any opinions. What does that mean, Bailey? Mean with the management coordinated. Right. <laughs> objectively bad is the coordinated management of meaning. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> No, it's been like, <laughs> I was certain that there was something that was real about joy, that that was like something solid and, tr you know, true and everlasting, and <laughs> I, I really, I don't know where I got this come from, but, but for me to start to get that joy passes just like everything else. That's bad. I mean, it's like for me to let go of the hope of joy, of the payoff for a sacrifice, or the hard, the hard work, you know, provide, you know, creates joy and happiness, or that the successful communication producing openness and trust and bonding and love that that doesn't last any longer than the shit lasts. I mean, that to have it be just as transient as everything else, that's bad. I mean, that, <laughs> it's been really bad for me. I mean, it's like, to give up that, you have to give up. I've been having to give up that image, that fantasy, that story about reality or whatever. I feel that way about... I don't know what the word would be, neutrality maybe, or equanimity, or some, you know, some, some, like where there isn't either one, either side. I, what I hold on to is the hope that there's some, con, you know, constancy mm -hmm. for some, and, you know, I keep dreaming that 
that's what I'll find. Yeah. I, I would settle for not even having joy all the time if I could just have it be sort of, and then it even sounds like that line that goes across the monitor. <laughs> <laughs> I think the constant is that, that we know we have four feelings and that you're going to feel them all four at some time in your life and that they will leave you. <coughs> one I guess constant. I'm looking for the fifth one, which is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get yeah, it. And uh, <laughs> then there's a way that, that Red Hawk is that he, he speaks with such simplicity and clarity and yet he always seems joyful. And he's talking about really serious painful, sad stuff, but he seems happy, and that, I'm, I'm intrigued by that, who he is being in that way, and what he's holding. Hmm. What an experience, uh, the group has this, but you, you don't know, on Easter, I was with my cousin who died, and um, I had an experience of feeling all of those things at the same time, like at the moment that he died, it's like, I was very sad, I mean just, I was just grieving his presence in my life, but I was so joyful for him in a way, it was just, it was so surprising to me that, um, that it was just a, that those two completely different um, feelings were present. And it did create some kind of a neutrality of this is just, this is what it is. I mean, there was something akin to neutral because of those two things that were both present. And even my cousin, who's a sister, who was very, you know, that was pretty grief-stricken, you know, said to me the next day, I was really scared. I've been so scared of the moment he's had cancer for a long time. She said, I was, I've been so fearing this moment of when he, when I was going to be there, he was going to actually die. And she said, and it just wasn't anything like, she's like, it wasn't like I thought it would be. It wasn't terrorizing, you know, and, and, you know, we talked a lot about that, about how that moment was not anything like what we would have imagined or what we would have, you know, conjured it up to be. And that's a pretty dramatic moment, you know, as far as like life experiences, but but there was you know there was like an element of joy there that that was really bizarre that I hadn't really thought about until until you said that. But um, you know just like in the gratitude of like witnessing a human being take a step into the next play. I mean that there was something really big about that, um, and it connected it and in a way everyone that was there got connected to that for just a split second, whether they were aware of it or not. You know, I mean, I just wanted to hold on to that as long as I could, just, you know, other people may have just felt it for a moment, I don't, you know, I don't know what, what they did, but um, it was pretty, it had that, that, that dichotomy of feelings when that happened. glad the conversation's come around to this because for a long time I think I felt like I was a sick puppy uh, because I I would feel joy when I was creating or doing things you know with my body working for the garden or working on the farm or something like that but there was another time that I felt joy and that was when I put myself in a position where there wasn't another way to go I purposely put myself there and I knew that you know it was a discipline to do that so that and, and, and it was suffering put myself purposely in suffering so that I could go through whatever I needed to go through to get there and, and in that there was a joy and I thought well gosh I'm sort of masochistic here to put myself in this that's something like the event <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah that's true that's
couple years ago, you taught me that same thing about joy. Because you said, what's your fantasy? And I said, happily ever after. And that's what happily ever after is. It's like, like a sustained joy or, you know, it's, and that certainly knocked a few bricks out of my foundation, like, to, to get, start to get that, 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 that couldn't be and have anything real at the same time. It's like my whole life I thought that's what it, you know, I thought that's how joy works. Well, and, and by having happily ever after, then you give up half of life. Because by not having your uh, anger and your pain, your, your fear and sadness, then you don't have your whole life. That's, uh, you only get that one-fourth of, of your life. And so is that really happy, happy, happily ever after? I think we're, you're, that's just label. That's just another label, though. You somehow separated it, and uh, it's like it's like you're saying uh, glad is one fourth and happy is glad. So that that gets rid of the others, and that's not the way it is. Only as a reference. I'm, my only point is that it's not. It's, uh, you can't have full life if you don't feel the other things. I was only using it because there's four, and you're missing three, and you have one. Not as quantity. So, glad. Glad comes from having everything I need. That's how I get it. The king has everything he needs. So that includes the others. When I have scared, and when I have sadness, and when I have anger, then I have it all. That's how I get to glad, is by having the others. can't have everything I need if I'm missing one. That's why, like, I have to have all those, and that's how I get to glad. Well, if you set it up that way, but is my reference for happily ever after is just glad. Well, my reference for happily ever after is the circumstances are so-and-so. Okay? That's my reference for happily ever after. It's like the, the princess and the prince, they rode off on their white horse, they looked happily ever after. And, like, that's the end of the story. So it doesn't say that he cheated on her and, you know, poisoned her and, you know, killed her mother and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> it doesn't say, it just, it, it's like happily ever after to me means this is the circumstances just the way I want them. But that's not necessarily the way it is. Maybe all this terrible stuff happened and they lived happily ever after. When happy or glad includes the others, then that can happen. And happily ever after can happen. When I have the other three, then I get the glad. Lee Loswick, I heard, has been describing redesigning the universe from how I had ever had it designed before. It used to be like there was the middle world, and then there was the upper world and the underworld. You guys hear this already? Well, he, he's redesigned it where he took the upper world and put it below the underworld. So here you have wow. the middle world, and the way to get to the upper world at all is through the underworld. He wrote about something about That's the middle, middle under, upper. Yeah. <laughs> that the last moment you think of basically death is the only moment you can transcend to the, to the upper world. Going through the darkness. Yeah, so it's through. Totally yeah. Yeah. But you can do that now. Yeah. You can do it. You don't have to wait for death. No. Yeah, I believe. A lot of yeah. people do. It's like death. Yeah. Totally oh, it is a death. Yeah, but the whole, you know, yeah. the voyage is through the underworld. The underworld is only accessible through the underworld. That's how you get there. So, if we're going to gain passage through the underworld, we have to stop judging the world and stop judging those things about ourselves that are related as being but the judging was the end of the world. Yeah, I was going to say the judging doesn't go away. It's <laughs> true. And the attachment to it perhaps could. Perhaps. Oh, you're looking for the door on the other side of the underworld, what you're saying. The way you, the way you get through the underworld, yeah. the other side, yeah. The way out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
Take a tram. Get neutral about your underworld. I was going to say, be, be okay there. Yeah. I mean, it's always it's what you talk about now getting the bardo. I mean, what I, what I remember that when Bernardo spoke about that, it's like the key to get through it is to be neutral and not react. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're, you go to the next place. I remember an exercise that we did at the first practicum I went to, and Star led it. I could not, I mean, I had no idea what it was because it was all about energy and shifting your energy, and you would go through these things. I mean, I remember you, I mean, you were the Poor person baby. at the other end of mine. I I had no, I mean, I still, I don't know how I did that. I had no idea what I was doing. And somehow people let me go through, I mean, I obviously was doing something and people let me go through, but, you know, it's like, it's just to bring it around to what you're talking about at the beginning, it's like, you know, there's just, there's an energy about it that we don't, that we've forgotten, that we don't know, we're not in touch with anymore in many ways. Like I was in conversation with someone recently, and all that was coming out of her mouth was negativity about other people. And I sat there listening, and this person told me all she wanted was someone to listen to her. And I would, as soon as the negative would come out, I would immediately want to attach to the negative and resist, attach, resist, attach, resist. And I finally worked to that place of neutrality where I was willing to allow that to be totally okay for her to express whatever she wanted to express, and I didn't have to make it different. All she wanted was for me to listen. And I got to a place where the negativity wasn't even touching me at all. It was like all that was happening was that I was fulfilling her request, which was to listen, that she wanted someone to listen. And I didn't take on any negativity at that point, nor did I resist it. It was really enlightening to see how if I don't judge it and I don't call it something and I don't resist it, how really okay I can be with whatever is there. Well, you can use that, you can do the same thing with anything that we're working with, with that we're addicted about, or addicted to, or any, any addictive functioning in our life, if we're addicted to responding in a certain way, or any, any addiction that we're working with, substances or energetics, or any addiction that we're working with is like a solution to the problem. And the problem is an alternative experience that we're, not, that we're doing the addictive thing instead of. And so if you want to do the experiment, then you, you, you go to what the problem is, which is this thing that we're trying to avoid by doing the addictive thing. Instead of doing the addictive thing, that you just go back into the thing that you're trying to avoid, and then it's hell. I mean, it's like this really this hell thing. And then the thing is, is like Chogyam Trungpa was saying, it's like they, they said, what do you do when you're in hell? He says, I try to stay there. Mm -hmm. So it's like that, is to have it be okay to be in hell. And so that's the thing, is usually we're avoiding it, or going, this is bad, this is wrong, I hate this, and I can't do this, I'm scared. You know, I'm, I'm too sad, whatever the thing is, and then go in there and just like try to stay there, do the opposite thing, and actually try to stay there as long as you can. As we build a matrix to hold some of that, the pain and the stuff that comes up while we're there, we practice to build a container. So that we can stay in hell longer. Yeah, a little bit Don't tell your time. mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the next time she tells me to go to hell, I'll say, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> well, and the, longer we, and the longer we stay in hell, the more normal it seems. I mean, at least for me, it just seems like that's more normal than, than the numbness is. Like, it's, I'm getting comfortable with suffering. There's always more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the part I'm not looking at. Yeah. The next yeah. one. No, the next level. <laughs> yeah, that part. I keep saying, that's as bad as it can be. The part that, that, that was part, the worst it could ever be. The part you're avoiding by going to this part. Yeah, that's right. Center, <laughs> I said the center's hotter. <laughs> As soon as I think this is as bad as it gets, or this is as big as it gets, or as whatever as it gets, it's 
So very quickly pointed out. The <laughs> <laughs> That's like telling very God, <laughs> this is like Titanic. You can't sink the Titanic. Even God can't sink the Titanic. I would, ooh, watch this. <laughs> Why do you go to so many events? <laughs> she fixed. email coming in and so that's how, I really don't sit at my computer all day every day so. I thought you were being the witness for the group that Red Hawk was talking about you know, you the bell and we all connect our top our tail and, and I've been doing that every time the bell rang. I was thinking you had your email tied to the doorbell and I was thinking that'd be a great tool for me to have you know, it works so <laughs> it works any way you want it to <laughs> I think it's probably people emailing to sign up for the event. They want to know how fun Hal can be. <laughs> or it's Nordstrom's or Eddie Bauer telling me about a great sale. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. Joy. Pain. How about innocence? That's where I get confused. Innocence and joy are two different things. And that's what Red Hawk seems to me. There's an innocence. And an openness. It's a quality. And I keep thinking that it's got to be Walt Disney Joy. Ray Hawk <laughs> showing me that innocence, innocence is okay. Innocence creates something. But I guess there's still hell. So innocently walking through hell. That seems very paradoxical. <laughs> it's probably the only way you can walk through mm -hmm. hell. Mm -hmm. And we have hell labeled too. I have hell labeled. What is hell? We're talking about the objective hell. <laughs> 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 the biblical hell. That's the one you're thinking about. <laughs> The cotton diapers and poo poo hell. <laughs> <laughs> the sitting there in front of the computer hell. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> Captain? All right. Thank you. Had a fun time with him, though. So we don't meet again. We have nothing till Thursday. Well, all right. Not bad. Not for all of us. The event's tomorrow. Sorry, we have the event tomorrow, and Monday there's camp day. And then I'll. We're going to have that on Saturday and Sunday too. Somebody on the rudder of that ship. And then some of us start again Thursday on the intensive. Okay. <laughs> and who needs to know if we're not going to be at camp day? Me. I will not be at camp day. On Monday. Yeah, I will. And then oh, you will not, am I? Who will be there? I'll be there. Yeah. Okay. I won't be there. Well, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, is it okay in general if those uh, the trainer guys, if they end up wanting to come to camp day on Monday morning, that's all right. Are they coming to the intensive? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know when they leave. I don't know when they leave. Well, they're probably going by bus. So two of them. Two of them are flying. The trainer from Germany, is he? Oh, four. Four is staying for the intensive. They're taking the bus to Germany. <laughs> is Giorgio from Germany or France? Yes. Germany. Both. And he speaks Italian too. Wow. 
And those of you who are not in the event, this weekend will not have an opportunity. Advertising is bilingual. Trilingual. That's quadlingual. At least. <laughs> we could. I wonder what his grandma speaks. All four. <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> what are the hours for the Monday camp meeting? Nine to one is what was said. Actually, probably moving more quickly than um, you would if you knew what everything was, because there would be things that you okay, I need, I need a, uh, I need a whisk. Well, there isn't a whisk. So, I mean, you know, instead of going, I need a whisk. Okay, I don't I have to go to the store. I have to borrow one. I have to call somebody. You know, instead, you, you know, you tie three forks together and do this thing, and it like works. And you got, you know, it's handled, and and you. You didn't even think about it. You just needed that because it was necessary. So it's called forth into existence out of necessity. So, I mean, even this conversation tonight is like that. Like, like there was, there's, there's no script. There wasn't a plan. There wasn't, you know, we often do this. There's not a, there's, who's, whose turn is it to speak next? You know, what are they going to say? You know, is it that, you know, that those things aren't of consideration here because that's not, because we're going by what's what's needed. You know, people are saying the next thing that's needed to say, and there isn't, you know, there isn't five minutes of silence in here because nobody can think of something to say. You know, it's not like that. People are saying what's needed to say what's next. And if there was five minutes of silence in here, it would be appropriate. You know, it wouldn't be a problem. So I think that this not knowingness is really close to us, and I think that we're really pretending that it's not. I think we largely function in not knowingness, pretending that we know, so that the veneer can st of psychologically psychological sanity and whatever stability and normalcy can stay in place. And so I think that the not knowingness is really a, a really a, a natural um, available like accessible place for us to be and it's that it wouldn't be that big of a deal for us to have that <coughs> back to have that as a, a resource or as one possible way of relating or functioning but it does but it is different from how we've been trained like that um, that I've been noticing in relationship to 
being with Ben and also in relationship to my work at, like my job, um, is that the, um, that rapid learning model, the speed of it is really fast. Where like it's it seen like you can't stay in not knowing and spend much time looking for the feedback and gathering it and processing it and taking the time to shift and then like I feel like with with certainly with Ben and and, and <coughs> my job right now those are the two places where I feel like I'm in constant go and I know I'm paying attention to feedback but it, it's like I, I I can't afford to do anything other than, well, I, I mean, I can't even language it so quickly that it's just, it's go, and yet I know I'm not just only going. And, and somehow that seems that that's one thing that not knowing is about, that, that, that to get up in the feedback and the shift